right, welcome to the brand new music podcast right behind us, hosted by me, Brandon Daniel, of the Seattle band Beatty and the Sheiks. The concept with the show is to bring you conversations between contemporary recording artists, the kind of conversations we have with one another when we're playing a show together, hanging out backstage, or afterwards in our own living rooms. We're talking about creativity, music, and being entertainers, and these kind of conversations rarely leave those comfortable settings. I wanted to bring them to you, and that's what we're doing today with uh, our guest, Mr. Shane Tutmark, a Nashville musician and producer who grew up and came up musically in Seattle. He's a brilliant guy, very versatile, intelligent, and charming. When I first met Shane a couple of years ago, we had one of those great songwriter conversations about an interesting subject in psychic writing. And so I brought that up again in our conversation today. Let's get into it, let's hear from Shane. And now we'd like to thank our sponsor for today, Future Vapor. Check out Future Vapor on Seattle's 12th Avenue, Capitol Hill, uh, when you are in Seattle or if you live in Seattle. Uh, Future Vapor is an e-cig emporium and lounge that specializes in vapor products and insanely awesome, knowledgeable customer service. The place, this place is my favorite. I'm there all the time. I, I love Zach, the owner, and uh, I didn't even have to try and quit smoking cigarettes. When I switched over to vaping, it wasn't necessarily a, a seamless process. I was still smoking cigs here and there and, and, and vaping at home. Or, uh, But eventually, I just lost all desire uh, to get my nicotine through cigarettes and I uh, have nothing against my friends and others who smoke cigarettes but um, I've experienced all the positive side effects of switching over to vapor um, and those are the same side effects someone would experience if they quit cigarettes altogether so I think that says a lot and everybody who goes to Future Vapor knows that's the best place in town so um, when you're in Seattle you should check this place out. All right, let's talk to Mr. Shane Tetmark. to her cool. you've collaborated with her yeah. in the past right yeah like we we like briefly dated like years and years ago but mm-hmm. uh we've uh it's cool you know we'll just like you know be rad supportive friends and i played on one of her last records and co-wrote some stuff and uh that's her. that's interesting to me because I, I just did a collaboration for the first time with um celine from prom queen okay and uh 
And it was interesting doing a duet, doing co-writing. Yeah, we—I mean, we knocked out a song in 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 a very short amount of time, which mm-hmm. was very surprising. Are you not much of a co-writer generally? Or? Never. I mean, I guess it just doesn't happen as much. I've done, I've done a lot since moving to Nashville, but uh, I probably only co-wrote like maybe like two songs with people living in Seattle. You know? Yeah, yeah. I've only my only collaboration is where I bring, you know, half the song to the band, and then. And then we, um, and then they affect it, mm-hmm. you know, or they, they come up with the, a part that I didn't see coming. Right. And so they're a co-writer at that point, you yeah. know, and they, they, they make it better. But before that, like my first album, Keep em Flying, I was just such a control freak that I, I I'm not consciously. I no, didn't, I was the same way when I was younger. I didn't want to be affected by anybody or yeah. you know, just, this is my own thing. Like, yeah. You know, so yeah. Stu- the pride is in it. So right. stupid in retrospect, right. but at the same time, you're not, I, I, at least I wasn't fully consciously aware of it. Right. I just yeah, didn't know whether I realized, you know, I probably could have gotten a lot more out of all these friends that were helping me you know, right. like, in other ways, you know? Like, well, I mean, this podcast them. is kind of similar to that. Like I was so surprised at like, how many people would have said yes? Mm-hmm. There's been one exception to yes. And that wasn't even a no. It was just no. Well, I was so glad you reached out to me because, you know, I have this show coming up. And yeah. I know this probably won't air until after the show. but I was, When is the show? It's next. It's a week from today, actually. So It might. Okay. Yeah. Well, I was hoping, yeah, it was like, you know, I, I reached out to a couple people. Greg Vandy from KXP. I just did like a great mm. write-up on his blog that he has done. But I haven't really done... A full-on interview in Seattle, you know, for years now. So. You know. Well, I'm sorry you didn't walk into one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that worked out. So. I I uh, I wanted to um, do you know basically the kind of conversation that uh, are we going already? Yeah, we're going. Okay. <laughs> uh, the the basically the kind of conversation that we that this is based on is the kind that you and I had when we met yeah. in West Seattle a couple of years ago. Yeah, we were like instantly gabbing away about everything. About, and you know, we talked about, uh, and I thought this was unique, uh, we talked about psychic writing, mm-hmm. you know, and and uh, and how you just like, we'll, we'll write something and then fucking end up living it. Right, like, you know, all the time. In the next yeah. year. It, to the point where it, it's kind of freaked me out in certain like uh, in like relationships, for instance, like you know, I've written breakup songs about girls that I'm with, you know, like that end up you know going that way. And, they end up happening. Yeah, you, know, you know, stuff like that where you know it's like, okay, maybe I shouldn't put this in, you know out there. Like yeah, you end up wondering if it's self sabotage. Yeah, I mean, there's know? been moments like that, but there's also just been really strange. Like I remember, like uh, I mean, you know, this is super weird to even talk about, but like around the time of nine eleven, like I had, I had written a record about six months before that. And the final song was it was called Low Flying Planes and it was just, oh, it was just kind of like surreal type song but like yeah. the, the lyric was like you know watch your head from Low Flying Flying Planes and uh, just the, the album title was Waiting for a World War you know at the time it was like a super peaceful you know yeah <laughs> post Clinton years of you know mellow vibe yeah. for a minute there and then uh, a minute and then when that happened it was just like well that feels so connected you know like yeah uh, you know I guess. You know, there, there. I think there is something too. I mean, I, I think I'm definitely aware of looking for those things, but you know, the whole collective conscious thing of you know, you kind of put it out there, and um, or even like you know, album titles that I'll be thinking about or planning on using, and then all of a sudden like another band will use that exact random title. Oh, I know. Yeah. Within like a week or two of you know, like, and like oh, album cover yeah. designs. I mean, I've had that kind of stuff happen artistically so many times where I'm like, 
I guess I'm, you know, tapped into it, or you know, that's a positive way to look right, at it. I guess, but, right, right. Um, yeah, it's it's weird. Well, yeah, that that on that level, that kind of happens to everybody, not just artists. You know, is that we we I'm you sure, know yeah. you get into something and then you discover, oh, now that's the thing. You right. know, um, but. Yeah, I'm it sure is a lot so of much... it's just coincidence, but you know, you, once you start looking for it, it's everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I think it's weird. You know, I think it's totally, I think it's totally real, and I think it's totally weird. And it, and I'm sure there is some, uh, you know, psychic energy there. I mean, that's that was proven. You know, mm-hmm. psychic uh, um, communication has has been proven, um, not to be like effective, but to exist. They did a study um, uh, during World War II. The government did, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Well, wait, wait, is this the thing where they did the test with like the unanswerable questions, and then they told a bunch of other random people the answers? And like in England, once it was out there, all of a sudden they were able to answer the questions. People like, like I heard about that. Yeah. yeah, people in rooms in America, and a or person in a room in in England, yeah, the other like side having, of the world. yeah, yeah, communicating, not even knowing each other. Yeah, pretty bizarre. Yeah. So that was proven beyond a scientific doubt. So that's like, I think scientific doubt looms somewhere around 30% or something like that. Anything below it is just not scientifically provable. But they um, they got it to like 30, it's like 35% or something like that. So it's just wow. beyond yeah. the scientific doubt. And so, I mean, so there, there's a lot of that that we're unaware of. But also, having been a product of uh, psychoanalysis for two plus years, um, you know, it just kind of always reminds me of like, uh, what's looming in the subconscious, you know, and sometimes like some of the things that we'll internally feel guilty about are, are those feelings that we think we shouldn't be having and we kind of judge them even though there's no use for it. Like have you ever woke up from a dream and just thought, God, fuck, what am I doing to myself? That was (laughs) fucked up, you know? Well, that's weird to, that's weird kind of guilt. Because you shouldn't be mad at your mind for processing mm. what it's processing. Yeah. You know? But right. it feels the same with a song. Yeah. When, especially when it comes to fruition and you see it in your life and you're like, fuck, was yeah. I sabotaging? Or? It's usually in hindsight, yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, especially the songs that seem like they just kind of come through real quick and you don't really spend the time to sort of analyze them, you know, until mm-hmm. later. And, uh... You know, I, I just had that happen the other day with like, the song that's, that's coming out um, next week. Actually, it comes yeah. out next Friday. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's which of the two is that? Uh, it's called uh, "I Never Said Anything." Yeah, I really like that title, by the way. That was, cool. And, and I like the song as it started. I could feel something right away. And cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. I dug it. Yeah, I mean, there was like a moment with that. Like, I, I kind of purposely was trying to write something that really wouldn't have any sort of linear. Uh, sort of message or story and then it yeah. was kind of like after finishing recording it and sort of you know then it was just like in my mind I couldn't stop thinking about it and all of a sudden it kind of different things hit me about like what you know it might mean or whatever totally you know, within my own life or whatever but yes um, yeah yeah I've had that yeah experience <laughs> like oh that's what it's about okay cool yeah yeah and even, even when you try to just be completely abstract you know it's like oh yeah or maybe especially when you try to you know but uh huh and and I um, it's interesting too, like how much those songs that you purposely made vague will end up having very specific, mm-hmm. uh, they'll be on a very specific topic to somebody out there. Right. I had this one where I wrote called feel real and it was just a stupid thought that I had when, uh, it was sunny in Seattle mm-hmm. and it's like, man, feel good. 
because it's sunny. Isn't it funny how, you know, uh, all these people in Seattle right. feel good when it's sunny? Oh, yeah. And so I th- thought, I feel real in the sunshine. The na- natural counter to that was, and I see you by the moonlight. So then I thought, oh, I could kind of write it about like a ghost experience. Oh. You know, like ghost love. You know, <laughs> yeah. like a love for someone who's gone. Right. And, um... But I dropped that theme pretty quick because to get the song done, it was evident that I was was, too literal. I was exactly yeah, yeah. and and so I was like, I got to put it. I just went in a totally different way. Well, then my aunt, like lives in a different part of the country, a couple years later, says to my mom, "You know what? That song is my favorite. That feel real about the ghost." Oh wow! So she picked up that. Yeah. And it's like and there's no lyrics that specifically say anything about a ghost or no. or uh, the storyline itself uh, lyrically doesn't really go there, hmm. but that's how she related it. She and picked up that. She picked well, and you know, like my uncle died when I was sixteen, and hmm. you know, and she's kind of been, uh, you know, kind of feeling him ever since. Mm-hmm. You know, like like the, the the spirit that doesn't leave you. Sure. So she's yeah. like, that could have had something to do with it. I think it's pretty cool. Like she was maybe looks for that more than maybe some more else. than most. Yeah. yeah, more than most. Gotcha. Yeah, widower. Yeah. Awesome. So yeah, it's it's fascinating when people find things in you or like yeah. one of one of the songs that did the best was 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 so weird. It was uh, one of the ones where I purposely wrote it the most vague. Mm-hmm. But that totally meant something to so many different people right. that I was always surprised to hear that I it did. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I haven't, I haven't challenged myself enough with that idea, but I mean, really you put, you string a bunch of words together with a melody and it's going to mean something different to every single person that hears it, you know? And, yeah. Uh, I mean, sometimes you try to be more direct than others, but, uh, yeah, this, this last song of mine was, was kind of more or less like, let's not structure it. Let's not try to have a, you know, linear narrative sort of thing you know like right some, some i feel like over the last few years i've gotten so much more direct and uh and i was just kind of like let's you know go the opposite approach yes. and see what happens and right i'm kind of enjoying that more you know because it's you know there's there's almost more you can get out of it if you're not <laughs> being you know super specific you know but what are you um only be I only say that because like I mean I feel like you know when when you're first starting out everyone is is super vague and like doesn't really know what they're doing and mm-hmm. you know so you kind of do that and then you kind of do have to get to a point or at least I did where I felt like okay well let's really hunker down and Hank Williams this thing out you know like what are the most important words to use and you know not overuse anything and be real specific and and now I feel like coming out through the other end of that you know like and not not just to be lazy and like let's just write a vague song you know but like uh, <laughs> more of an experiment. And, so does that send you, I mean, I, I, this might be a stupid question, but does that send you also like um, into kind of a, a structural tailspin where you, you know, are kind of going for more of an abstract painting and, and, and the corners aren't as clear and therefore in, in, you know, band terminology, you're jamming more? Band term- well, I mean, like s- song structure wise, I mean, I, I'm, I've always been very like into tidy arrangements and stuff like that. Totally. You know, like, it's... It's harder for me. I think it's it pro- it's probably easier for me to be more abstract lyrically than it is for me like structurally. I you know um, you know I don't know Th- through through this single series I'm doing this year. I mean I, I'm kind of letting each one be sort of its own little world. You know, like and mm-hmm. there definitely is songs that are more 
abstract structurally than I would allow myself in the past. Um, sure. And now with this last one, like definitely more lyrically in that way. But, uh, you know, I, I still want certain things from a song, like when I'm, you know, producing it and putting it together, you know, that, uh, you know, uh, I don't think I'd ever allow myself to do just some full on jam thing or something or, you know, right. unless it was like, you know, really, you know, here's the jam record here. It is. Right. Know? Right. I just don't get as much out of the, the, the jam thing, you know, but. Or the magical combo. Sometimes it could be the band that necessitates the Yeah, direction. and that's the thing. I've just never been that much of a band person. You know, like, mm-hmm. I mean, almost all my recordings, you know, have a band, you know, arrangement, you know, but it's it's usually me in a room putting the song together, you know, to begin with, and then... So are you multi, multi-instrumentalist then? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it, when when I can, and, you know, ha- half these singles in this year are, like, are, you know, 90% me, and maybe I'll bring in a drummer, or, or maybe I'll, you know somebody's hanging out and they have an idea on the guitar and I'll, you know, mm. go through that. But it's generally like, you know, I'll kind of blueprint the whole thing before I record it, you know. But have you, uh, your collaborations, have those ended up on your records or those mostly end up in other? Yeah, I've never, I've never really done the co-write thing for my own music, but, um, you know, I've, I've done a lot of different, uh, things for other people, you know, uh, and, uh, Usually, yeah, it's kind of tough because, like, there was a, a period where I was doing a lot more co-writing in Nashville, and it was, the frustrating thing for me was, like, I just never felt like they were um, things that I ever really wanted to put out necessarily. So it's like, you know, yeah. I, unless I felt like they had a record they were working on or they had a project, like, this was destined for, it just sort of felt like wasting time because, like, it's really tough for me. Um, I kind of feel like I want to believe every aspect of the song if I'm going to, like, mm. put it out there, you know mm. Yeah. And sometimes I feel like I've kind of lost songs of mine by going through the co-writing thing, you know. Right. Because you kind of have to be open to like, okay, let's take it where we want to take it, but then it ends up going somewhere that I wouldn't necessarily want to do on my own record, you know. But Yeah, I totally understand that. And, <laughs> and But at the same time, I mean, don't you feel like you have thoughts to spare? Yeah, I mean, it's been cool, like, especially because, like, I had been so kind of disciplined about, like, uh, I kind of, when I first started out playing music in Seattle, I was in this band called Delore that was, like, very kind of... Um, psychedelic 60s mm-hmm. sort of uh, inspired stuff you know electronic sounds and a bunch of different stuff and then I definitely went heavy down like a roots period like with Shane Tumark and the Traveling Mercies around like 2007 and pretty much like through that like moving to Nashville and like getting very like sort of almost I'm kind of bursting out the other end of it now like getting sort of back to sort of a more experimental open thing but but it's been fun with the projects, you know, during those years when I was kind of only doing more, like, Roots-related stuff on my own. It was kind of cool to do, like, sort of pop songs with other people, you know, still channeling the, the love of Brian Wilson that's been, you know, uh-huh. maybe submerged over the years. Like, um, so, like, projects where I could, you know, do things that I wouldn't do with, you know, my own music. Like, mm-hmm. that's always fun, you know. What yeah? What got you to Nashville? I so when I met you, you were just visiting as you do right. what a couple times a year. Yeah, I try to get out here at least you know twice a year maybe. And you were a pretty popular artist in Seattle at the time that you moved. Yeah, there had been. They wrote a know, fucking some, goodbye some to you in like the Seattle Weekly or the Stranger or whatever. Yeah. I, I remember yeah. seeing that. And I was like, whoa, this guy got a <laughs> yeah. a goodbye letter. I mean, it wasn't. It was an article. Well, actually, what's funny is like the in the Stranger, it was written by Megan Sealing, who now lives yeah. in Nashville. And, oh, and she does for the the local rag in Nashville. So I didn't know that. Yeah, it's pretty funny, like how that all you know worked out. But, yeah. So maybe I'll I'll get her to you know write something for me now out yeah. there. You know, but uh, but yeah. Um, 
Yeah, like the Delore thing, you know, I'd kind of like some local notoriety, and then I was doing the Chain Tomark and the Traveling Mercies thing was, you know, picking up some steam, and I just made my first uh, solo record, like, about six months before moving to Nashville, but uh, I just, I felt one of the things that was really kind of tough was just, you know, re-sort of branding myself in Seattle felt like a struggle. I mean, like, in hindsight, like, it, yeah, people were, there was a lot of support, and, like, and, you know, I always did appreciate that, but it felt kind of, you know, like, showing up to school after, like, a summer break and being like, here's my new wardrobe, here's my new look, you know, now right. I've changed my name, like, you know, like, totally. it, it kind of was hard to sort of, you know, a lot of my old friends that were big supporters of Delore and stuff like that just didn't really follow me down that path that I was going, and, and I really just felt like I kind of had to do it, and I sort of felt on my own, you know. Um, was that because of, like, the lack of garage that was in it, as compared to the Delore, which is, I mean, in that same yeah, genre? Yeah, I mean, you know, it was tough, because with Delore, I never felt like I connected to, like, you know, the punk friends that were, you know, doing, I mean, like, my best friends when I was doing Delore was like the Blood Brothers and like Vendetta Red and like, and that uh, mm-hmm. sort of, you know, harder thing. And then when I was doing the Roots thing, I felt like, uh, you know, the pop kids were like, you know, there was a lot of music that came out kind of around the same time and, and shortly after Delore that was like really doing the pop thing in town. And then I felt like I wasn't, you know, they weren't on my side. So I kind of felt like I kept finding new ways to alienate myself. Um, of course, I discovered later that there's like a really strong and has been for a long time roots scene in seattle but yeah i wasn't really a part of it you know I was just you didn't know how to find it yeah i mean yeah. you know i was playing the tractor and stuff and getting to know people and, and star and i was just getting started like you know towards the time i was leaving mm-hmm. uh, and the the maladies were just getting started and you know there was there was stuff starting to, to happen but i never felt like and i guess maybe intentionally i never felt like i'm like i'm part of the scene you know like in a way that like, I feel like what's amazing is in, in Nashville it's a really supportive scene you know in a different way not that everyone sounds the same but a lot more supportive whereas I feel like in Seattle everyone kind of encourages you to sort of be in your closet creating your own unique thing and yeah, there's less of the like let's all do this together kind of thing you know but, I think even when and I, I, I talked to somebody about this recently but I, I, just a theory I I uh, from experience mm-hmm. is that I think even when people seem to very much be part of a scene, they don't see them in Seattle. They don't see themselves that way. They certain, see themselves as outsiders. There's a certain like Calvin Johnson, Kurt Cobain ghost looming over Seattle. I feel like where it's mm-hmm. like it, uh, it's not cool to sound like you are a part of something or like you know it. And, and I, you know, I, I still have a lot of that in me too, and I took mm. that kind of with me to Nashville. But I was really, you know, excited about um, how, you know, welcoming and in open arms like the sort of music community is in Nashville. But, um, but I think there is just something that, you know, just growing up with that mentality that, um, you know, you don't want to be influenced by anything else. You, you know, you're doing your own thing. Like, um, it's almost embarrassing to say you want to be successful in Seattle. You know, right. am, ambition is such a dirty word. You know, like in, um, yeah. And I don't know like where that all came from, but it kind of feels like it's like the the remnants of the the K Records late eighties. Yeah, punk 90s guilt. Thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like a Catholic guilt. But yeah, like punk. You know, ethics. Purist know, guilt. guilt. Yeah. Um, there, I I have to say I know exactly what you mean, and three maybe even as soon as or clo- as uh, close as three years ago, I would have agreed. Mm-hmm. But I haven't felt it, and I don't know when if I'm that's gone, just you know, me being. Now, so I mean, it, yeah, it, I don't know if that's just changes. being that the scene's evolving, or I stop fucking caring. Right. 
Well, there's a lot of things so you don't really notice attention. either until you leave. I mean, like, I used right. to always hear, because being born and raised in Seattle, I used to always hear about the Seattle chill or the Seattle sure. freeze or, like, you know, like that whole thing. And I, I never saw that, but, you know, moving to the South especially, like, I was <laughs> like, oh, wow, like, yeah. you know, people wave when you walk down the street or, or smile or say hi. And, like, that whole uh, thing that, you know, and I'm still looking down, you know, like, or whatever. <laughs> like, and yeah. Like, don't talk to me, you know, like, and... Uh, a lot of things that I didn't realize I was totally a part of, you know, or, or, you know, uh, didn't see until I left, you know, but, um, so I mean, that could be part of it too. I don't know. Yeah, no, I know exactly. Like, uh, my wife, um, is from Baton Rouge, New Orleans area. Okay. Yeah. And the first time we went out on the town in New Orleans, just had a killer night Yeah. and not in all the, more in a local way you cool. know like we did the thing we will we hung out with her old friends that you know are still there yeah and did, went to the the locals bars and, cool. and all that kind of shit which was amazing i've only done the french core thing i love to do more of a local the hang. local thing yeah. is like oh man it, that's that's where the money is and because I've, I've i've done the other thing too but yeah. that we did that half a night because the other the if you know where to go the yeah. other places are so much more interesting and um well interesting for different reasons and I, after a few days of being there, you know, that night, like the final night we were out on town, my wife goes, I think we finally found where you fit in, <laughs> you know, which right. I actually appreciated because right. it was true. And, and it, it does have to do with that Southern mentality, you know, that Southern hospitality. Right. Um, but it also has to do with like, you know, where you can be yourself and not, and just fit in. Mm-hmm. I'm never not myself, really, right. in, even in Seattle, but I'm kind of, like, made for that, like, a New Orleans environment yeah. where everybody just is candid right. and gregarious I, I felt as that. they want to be. I felt that with the, the Nashville move, for sure. Yeah. Like, and, um, and I, you know, I still love Seattle, and but, I, yeah, I mean, I feel like I was I was the same person, you know, here as I, as I am in Nashville, but it's just kind of where you can maybe find more like-minded sort of uh totally vibes or whatever. <laughs> well and i'm sure you've brought some southern you bring some southern charm back when you're uh when you're here because it's it it it's infectious mm-hmm. and you know and i notice like even if i go on tour and come back i'm like so much open person. yeah and more open like on just a walking down the street saying hi to the neighbor thing like you were talking right, about right. you know and that's not even because i traveled through the south it's it's just because when you're well, on you feel the, more connected with just the human race you know just being out of your comfort zone. out of your shell yeah yeah you gotta right. you're living on the road you gotta be you're out there all the time you yeah. gotta be good to everybody right and so you kind come home. Strangers and all that stuff. Yeah. 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 And so I no, that's that's cool. But w- was there a romanticism about um, like Nashville? I mean, I'm fascinated sure. by that move. I think that's cool. Yeah. I mean, again, it, it felt like a sort of accidental. Um, you know, when I was when I was planning on moving there, it was you know like late 2009, and I mean, everyone I talked to was like, you know, what are you going to be a cowboy now? Or <laughs> like, you know, like <laughs> the whole the, the whole Seattle perspective of what Nashville was you know was yeah. just so you know confused and, and old timey or whatever but yeah like, but then uh, you know again it felt like being at the right time right place it seemed like you know over the last um, almost six years i've been there now um it's just become this crazy boom city and like all these bands and i mean so many northwest people you know down there and um 
and you know Jack White's living there and the Black Keys living there and uh, you know Johnny Depp's got a place now and Robert Plant. I mean, it's just it's crazy how much has changed just since I've been there and it really. Um, I, I kind of I felt like my interest more was just sort of the historical sort of romanticism yeah maybe of it and I I'd fall in love with it you know being on tour and, and mm-hmm. you know real experiences but also just like the idea that I'd be you know walking down the same streets that you know Hank Williams or Elvis or Johnny Cash or whatever you know like that yeah. was of course a big part of uh, just wanting kind of a, a different chapter with a. Uh, I guess it was sort of part of like where I was going musically though you know I mean I was like I was digging into the, the root stuff and and kind of just wanting to be a part of it versus just reading about it you know yeah um, and I wouldn't say really that element's a huge part of my day to day life now there you know? sure yeah but uh, for the first couple of years you know like I was geeking out about you know every street sign I saw you know? yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know it's funny now like when I drive through certain parts of town that I hadn't been in since I moved to town it's like it just reminds me like, wow I was so naive and you know, yeah. wide-eyed, you know, when I first, you know, lived there. But. I think it's kind of like a have-youth-will-travel type of right. You right. Know, thing to do. Yeah. Which I think is is awesome. Like, yeah. I don't know, I got so much more out of that kind of romanticism in my 20s mm-hmm. that you realize it's it's very similar to um, being a adolescent. Because, you know, people look back on their adolescence and go, oh, I had so much creativity, but, you know. Right. And it was like pushing the restart button. Yeah. It really was. You do in your, you do in that that first decade of 20s, you know, uh, as an adult, too. I mean, you have all these romantic ideas about places to go and things to do, and you do them. Right. And that's, and you'll never regret that. No. And and it it affects your life. I mean, look, you're still there. It's awesome. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like even more so, I mean, I guess after about three years there, it just sort of felt like that was more home now than than here in a certain way. I mean, this will always be my, you know, where I was born and raised. Sure. Know, but, uh, but as far as, you know, I come back and don't even recognize Seattle. I mean, like, oh, I, I, know. I mean, you could leave for a month and not recognize Seattle when you come There's back. There's a lot going on. It's just always under construction. And that's just <laughs> starting to happen in, in, in Nashville yeah. over the last, like, year and a half. Um you know, there's actually like pay parking lots now and there's like, you know, cranes everywhere and right. things are starting to kind of get there, you know, rent prices are going up, but still, I mean, still so much cheaper in a lot of ways, but, uh, yeah. And, and I think Nashville, uh, will do probably their best to, uh, keep what's historic mm-hmm. there. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, you know, there's been a lot of threats of, you know, like RCA's, uh, Studio A, um, Studio B was the main one that everyone used, but Studio A was just about to get torn down, and like Ben Folds came in at the last minute and helped finance to save that. And I mean, there's there's been a couple close calls, but I mean, there's just so much historical stuff, and it's you know how do you how do you maintain all of it? But uh, I'm sure you've seen online like how much Seattle has been losing over the last two years yeah. as far as like historical well, spots. I, just, I mean, like I'm I'm personally just sad for. Uh, it sounds like Shorty's is about to be gone, and that was like yep. you know hurricane's gone. Hur- yeah, you and know. that's been gone for a while, right? Yeah, kind of. Okay. Yeah, Funhouse has been gone for a while. Fun but the, he opened a new location inside. Okay, I was gonna say I El thought Corazon. Star told me that she was playing the Funhouse like yeah. this week or something. But okay. Yeah, he opened a new mini location basically okay. in the El Corazon, uh, where like the bar where the bar used to be. Okay, oh, the bar not there anymore. No, it's his now. It's, uh-huh. The bar's there. It's just the Funhouse now. Okay, so like the showroom is El Corazon, showroom is no just bar. totally El Corazon now. 
So you have to go into Funhouse to get a drink. Right. Okay. But they work together on those nights. Okay. Yeah, cool. to make it. But then all the... But the... I don't know how it works. Like, if there will be two shows. I do know it, um, if there's going to be a big show that's a Funhouse show. Mm-hmm. It'll be in El Corazon on that stage. Oh, okay. And so they the, and they'll work together and... Exactly. Okay. I think overall, it's a good idea because El Corazon had turned into such a uh, metal uh, I magnet. I mean, I, I, I started playing there when it was Graceland. And, yeah. Uh, but, you know, of course, it was the off-ramp before that. And, like, yeah. I used to love going, you know, playing shows at Graceland and seeing the old flyers of mm-hmm. Nirvana and Melvins and whoever, like, uh, on the walls. And then they got rid of all those when they did El Corazon. It just kind of, like, oh, I, I hated that's too that. Bad. Just, like, you know, wiping clean that all that history that... That's the um, worst. That's one of the yeah. worst stages. Yeah, and it's just it's not the vibe one... that everyone that worked there just seemed like they didn't want to be there, and it was just yeah. I think it's changed a lot now. <laughs> I think I think Dana, who runs it, recognized that, and it's changed a lot now, Good. like okay. for the better. That's you great. know, he's a nice guy. Uh, I feel like whenever I come back now over the last five years, it's like I always end up playing a ballard, but I'd love to. I hear like the new Chop Suey's kind of cool and. Yeah, Chop Suey's uh, cool. Um, their their booking schedule. Sure. Their booking schedule is unique, um, because they they they're trying to mix like part part club, part venue. Uh, the new Chop Suey is. Um, yeah, I hear they're doing like acoustic shows in the front bar thing, and then rock are, shows. Are they doing that? that? Oh, I don't. I I'm idea. not. I don't because of my genre. I don't. You know. Like, find okay. out about the smaller, right, like, right. acoustic ones. Yeah. But, um, which was so funny. Do you know Dude York? Do you know Peter from Dude York? Uh-uh. So, he, um, he's, he's a great guy. And, uh, I, we were playing a show and we went down the street to, um, you know, just get something to eat at the Victory. And, uh, walked into a guy doing an acoustic set, acoustic solo set. And uh, it was before our show, and, and I was there with a friend, and I said to the friend, I was like, what he's doing right now is, like, twice as hard as what I do. Right. And he's like, uh, how so? And I'm like, because look at him. Oh, it's just painful. I he's just it. standing I there so playing <laughs> right. an acoustic guitar, oh. trying to show people mm-hmm. how good the thought was. Mm-hmm. And it's very difficult to communicate that, that way. Right. And... Um, and he goes, uh, and I go, and there's no band so right. for you to turn to if it's right. not going well or whatever. And um, and then afterwards, it turned out to be Peter from Dude York, who's, who I know. And uh, uh, he was just doing it. He has a couple art projects, and this was apparently one of them. He does okay. it differently every single time or whatever. But uh, it was just funny to call out somebody for yeah. being ballsy <laughs> and then, you know, find out. It's oh, this, yeah, I know that guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you still do acoustic performances? You know, I, I, I did quite a, quite a few, uh, when I first went to Nashville, um, you know, there's a lot of opportunities for that out there, but, uh, it just got to the point where, I mean, I'm such a, uh, producer mindset type person that it's, it's really hard to like, uh, it's, it's, it's like doubly a challenge when you're just like hearing all the stuff in your head that you want to be there that's not there and, um. And then you just kind of feel like you're selling your song short, you know, and uh, so I, I've started just saying no to any, uh, like, acoustic offers, you know, like, yeah. um, if I can't do it with the full band or, you know, if the right opportunity came up, you know, whatever, but, uh, 
like, you know, I could do it, but uh, I generally say no to stuff like that. You know? I felt like a lounge act the last time I did it. And it was kind of loud. I was in a lounge. Uh, but, I mean, it was surprising. They, uh, I got this offer to go out um, for National Broadcasters event in Jersey. And I thought when the offer came through that it was for, uh, you know, my whole band. Mm-hmm. But it was really just for me to come out and do it. Uh-huh. And uh, so I said, okay, well, I'll just prepare. Mm-hmm. And so I played every day you know, my set to get used to projecting in that unique way and right. all that kind of stuff. And then I went to... Now, can um, you, like, shred on the guitar? Or, like, you know, can you, like... Are well, you I've been accused of it, but I don't. Okay. I, don't. I mean, I guess that's I'm not trying to. All my songs end up being a minute and a half, you know, because there's, like, the, uh, the musical breaks. You know? Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, condensing the song right. down, yeah, because yeah. <laughs> there's no... Um, yeah, I I mean, I had some... I had some... A lot of... A lot more ballads in my set even at that time with the band. And so I kind of focused on that. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I just kind of made some things that are faster, like mid-tempo, mm-hmm. you know, so they could translate on acoustic. Sure. And I just focused on all the stuff that we don't play as much live, and there's plenty of content there. But anyway, I was playing to this crowd of, of, of radio industry dudes. Okay. That's who it was. And it was wow. this kind of grand ballroom kind of uh, setting. So it was like kind of ballroomy, kind of loungy, because they're all sitting in leather chairs, you oh, know. Wow, yeah. And uh, about like after the first song, I'm like, not a bad lounge act, I guess, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, I know, right. but that's how I feel when I play an acoustic set yeah. now, and it's just no fun. And I did it, a tour a few years ago, opening for a buddy that I I backed him up when he played, and mm-hmm. then when I opened, um, I had this like little. Uh, uh, kick drum type thing it cool. was like it was some sort of you know like pick up on like a wood block that you just stomp on and that really helped a lot and it played electric versus acoustic that's helped so, yeah so you know it's like you can sort of get a little more energy that way and I guess that's yeah. the last time I've done like an extended like we did like Nashville across to LA and uh, it was you know just a lot of you know, you get that kick drum going or that sound yeah. or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it was like kick drum with a tambourine and stuff. No, I mean it literally was just like a, a piece of wood that had like a pickup in it um, that my buddy had bought or whatever. I don't even know what you Rad. call those things, but like a like a stomp box or something. I don't know what you mm-hmm. call it, but uh, mm-hmm. and you know you just plug it into like the the PA and uh, or an amp or whatever. And uh, so I mean just yeah, getting like a, a rhythm element. I mean a tambourine would be great too. Uh, I saw the guy from Blitz and Trapper playing a solo acoustic. Well, he was he was opening for a show that we were playing, uh, basically I think to help out his buddies who were um, having their record released that night. But uh, he played uh, with a drum machine, mm. and he was playing an acoustic set. And I can say surprisingly, you know, he nailed it. Yeah, like, it was I mean, working. You have a beat that just goes so much. It does. It yeah, because yeah, it's funny because it, it, you know for acoustic performances, There's so much strumming anyone wants to hear. Right. So. <laughs> yeah. 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 And it, even like really good strumming is not that impressive. <laughs> no. And when no. you go into a guitar solo on an acoustic guitar, forget uh, about it. Yeah. Unless you're Eric Clapton, it's just not right. translating. Right. Yeah. 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 Okay. We're I think on a similar page. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's funny to me to realize now that it it is the beat thing. Right. Because uh, I most of my life was just like, why isn't this, why isn't this work as well? Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, I was really right. pretty naive about it. I just, yeah. I knew it didn't work. I just didn't understand why. I mean, they, they say, you know, I've heard like the first thing your your brain processes when you hear music is like, you know, the the vocal melody and the, and the beat, you know. So yeah, so that's it. As long as you have those primal elements there. You know, 50% of it is missing. Like, sorry, bass players, you know. But, <laughs> you know. Oh, that's, that's another new development um, with us is that we, uh, there's songs where we're switching to keys mm. uh the bass player switches to keys and i play the bass oh cool and that's been a weird metamorphosis I, I love, bass is one of my favorite instruments yeah play. oh yeah it's and cool. it's i feel guilty about soloing on it but <laughs> do you solo? i do i do like you'll take a little break and you'll slap it or something there no no i'm not i'm not that i'm not even i'm not that good um, no, yeah, like, it's just a, like an element of the song will be the fact that I go up high mm-hmm. on on the fretboard mm-hmm. and and play that the lighter strings to create more of a guitar tone. But I'm not it, that wasn't intentional. It was just something that was happening because I'm not a real bass player. I'm a guitar player. Mm-hmm. I just explored accidentally, and then we found something that worked, and we locked in on it, and then it's yeah. it's out. It's a release song, so we play it live and. Cool. It's fun. Yeah. But I always, it's funny, I always wanted to play the bass. Mm-hmm. Now I am. Well, you know, I think I think there's something, you know, like, I think there's a reason, you know, why, like, Brian Wilson or Paul McCartney were the bass player in the band. Because you know, I, I think you have to understand the rhythm of the song. You have to understand the melody of the song. Mm-hmm. The chord You kind of have to be able to see the whole song, whereas a yep. guitarist might be just thinking about, when's my guitar break you know like yeah or, you know, yeah or the drummer might be just thinking you know like here's the syncopation here's the groove you know but with the bass player i feel like you kind of have to be aware and connected to the whole song you know like and, and so i i love right. that and have you know nothing but respect for for you know bass and bass players but yeah yeah i'm um uh, i didn't go into it because i didn't think <laughs> i was just like i just we we're sitting in this room with my instruments and i was like or my practice instruments and like oh yeah there's bass in here now that's yeah. like a thing and also it's been so much and i'm sure as a multi-instrumentalist like you've you've experienced this and please elaborate if you have but like writing wise it's mm-hmm. really cool that when because you know there will be days the guitar is not making sense yeah <laughs> and though on those days you can switch to a bass and might find that because you're playing something much simpler and, and much more rudimentary mm-hmm. ideas are ch- flowing through mm-hmm a lot quicker and easier than they are when you're chording everything. Yeah, I mean, I can't say that I've written much, you know, just with sitting with the bass, but I mean, a lot of times, like, if I'm, you know, doing a certain riff on the guitar, it ends up making more sense as a bass line, you know, like, or, or with piano, like the left hand, you know, like, and... Um, yeah, the le- yeah. You know, I, I feel like generally, like, I, I try to kind of put all the songs through a few passes of, you know, like if it's written on guitar, then let's see what happens when you switch it to piano now or, or play a bass group with it or, you know, like, and, and is it, if it sort of passes the test of all the instruments, right, you know, right. sort of the filter that each instrument kind of provides, like, um, but you know, I, I love playing bass and I love, I mean, coming up with grooves and bass lines, but usually that's, that's like the last, the element, last thing. Right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally, I totally relate with that from previous experience. And it's, it's, and I like the changes that happen. I just like yeah. to your writing that they, you know, it's like you said, it's, um, it's like the left hand on the piano, you know, mm-hmm. that's, that's how the bass feels. Mm-hmm. Um, 
doesn't need to be a focus, but if it if it is, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Just like those bass keys, you know, like right. I, I'm I'm uh, often more attracted to the sounds that are coming from uh, the heavier side of the piano, right? You know, the bass notes of the piano mm-hmm. than I am the high ones. But I don't want to live without the high ones. Yeah. You know? I mean, yeah. I want that. But uh, yeah, it is kind of like going from like working with your right hand to working with your left. I'm still a, a right hand uh, piano novice. Okay. I mean, I mean that's still just like yeah. basically the only hand that works for me. Yeah. At all. Yeah. If I can even say it works. Well, sometimes I'll you know record the left and the right separately. You know, just Ooh. so you can you know balance them differently. Like, and I like I mean probably from like Dr. Dre records. Like uh, I like having that like piano bass. You know, but do do yeah that sort of stuff you know doubling the bass with the the low keys of the piano or um you know separating it uh so you can have those high strings but they're not like you know just blasting you out when you're trying to get some of that low right you know but that's cool yeah and then you only need one hand (laughs) yeah no i like that approach yeah and cheats are cheats can you know really affect the sound in a positive way too. Well, and it's almost like that collective conscious thing we were talking about earlier where it's like, you know, once you, if you can't physically do it, but you are able to do it on two tracks when you record it, somehow, generally, you can do it later with two hands. You know, it's That's like, true. If yeah. Like, I don't know how many Adaptation. times like, I've, I've done like a, a cheat recording it and then you end up finding the way to actually do it when you have to play the song later. You know? I still feel like that on guitar. Yeah. I'm like, sure, yeah. The, the number of times I'm like, um, playing in essentially the totally wrong position mm-hmm. for how... And then you find a easy. better way to do it later or something. Like, and it's yeah. totally basic. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. it's to- it's scales. Well, the, well, it's like that discovery, though. Like, you don't know, you know, the uncharted territory, and then you realize, oh, this is why. Right. This is the easier way to do it, or this so, is why it makes sense. Do you find sometimes, too, though, like, um, w- with guitar, that you have a f- favored positions on the guitar? Like... Um, a lot of times I'll notice that, yeah, it might be more difficult to play this up higher on the bass notes, but I like the way it sounds better than it does on the G. Yeah. You know, like, oh, yeah, yeah. do you have, like, mapped out, kind of, do you have yeah. you kind of n- noticed your favorite positions? Yeah, I mean, I guess, like, uh, I mean, I don't know if I'm going to talk about all my favorite positions. I don't really know how to talk about them. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, for sure, like, I mean, I, I guess generally... Uh, you like to think you're doing it the most practical way with whatever part of the neck you're on, but yeah, um, but yeah, there is certain things that I know, like like I'll do the sort of C F shape on like the the D or the E going up or something like that, mm. you know, just a yeah different different sound, I guess. I don't know, but uh, I think those are just things that define your sound. The only re- reason they feel stronger, I guess, to me than like just the the first position kind of stuff that right always, i know always feel slightly out of tune or something well <laughs> yeah. it, uh, that's a good point out of tune also mm-hmm. feel like there's a weird guilt around using them <laughs> yeah. sometimes i mean it's like g c d all right <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah but you know yeah if you're in a if you're in a hurt for for yeah. a new material right you might just find your yeah. Your major chords are working for getting sure. you down the road. Okay, yeah, slap a capo on there and it's a whole new thing. <laughs> oh my god, it's true. <laughs> yeah. I never I never use a capo. I used to, but I mm-hmm. I haven't used I, I don't as much, but you know, sometimes I'll catch myself uh writing something that uh I'm like, Oh wow, that's like 
almost exactly like you know the last song I did or whatever you know then you you know you it kind of just gives you a chance to sort of look at it differently and then you know then maybe you put it through that filter of the piano thing and then you go somewhere else you know but have you played with open tunings man you know like I got I got when I first discovered Nick Drake Pink Moon like yeah. late high school I mean I, I geeked out big time yeah. but then I kept finding myself forgetting what the tunings were you know like I'd, uh, I'd write something that I was like this is amazing you know mm-hmm. and then be like wait what was that tuning again yeah yeah and so there was a very short period of time like in the early Delore days um there's some stuff actually I'm gonna finally like officially release like the, it's the 15th anniversary of like the first Delure record next year oh wow and like I have all these like all this different stuff that I mean nobody probably cares about but it's just almost just for me to get it out of the closet yeah you know? good good um, and there is a lot of stuff that's weird tunings that I wouldn't have no idea how to play now or, or oh that's now. great <laughs> so you did really get into it for yeah a there was bit. a couple years I mean like I mean I was so into well the Pinkman record and, and Jimmy Page stuff you know and, sure uh, you know, but it just, I, I became a lot more of a craftsman kind of after that and just mm. got a lot more into like, um, not relying less on less is more. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess, you know, let's, let's find different sounds from other instruments or, or different combinations of sounds. And it's not, it was, it became a lot less guitar based. That's interesting. So you, you, uh, have become heavy on the production side of things Yeah, and you're doing your own producing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, wow. I admire and, and, that. and really have been like pretty much from the beginning. I mean, the first two Delora records were were co-produced with other people, but um, by like the third uh, Delora record, I was producing that myself. And, Do you have a favorite studio down in Nashville that you? You know, I've been using this. I mean, it's like you know, it's similar to here, but even ten times more. It's like every other house is a studio in Nashville. Right. You know, so there's there's a, a buddy's house that uh, I've been using just just like walking distance from mine. That nice. I've been, I've been recording most of the single series this year at and um, I mean what I love about it, to me like really all I need out of a studio is like an engineer that's working there and like a bunch of gear sitting around you know right and on so it's it's kind of a perfect setup uh, my buddy Stephen Keach uh, runs the board and there's endless guitars and keyboards and drums and whatever sitting around so that's just kind of like what you know all I need you know I, I, was, sure. I was starting to build a home studio and I just I realized I kind of needed somebody else there otherwise I just would going to overdub land for years or whatever, you know, so sort of having a little bit of structure or like timeline on it, like helps me. Yeah. 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 Limitations. Yeah. They come up over and over again in, in these conversations. Yeah. I mean, I feel like they're a creative, uh, stimulant versus like a block, you know? I mean, yeah. Yeah. It's really kind of like the meat of the sandwich. Surprisingly. I mean, you, if you even are conscious of your limitations creatively, you might think of it more as the breading, but it's not. Right. It's yeah. that thing. Or I don't know. Maybe it's the mayo. It's like the thing that makes it good. Yeah. You know, and you don't even re- recognize that until you know you've been doing it for a long time. And mm-hmm. and there's no. I don't know that there's a conscious way to like, um, you know, keep it a part of your process. Mm-hmm. Although I've heard some people uh, theorize about how they did, like Jack White and stuff, but. Well, I mean, I, I feel like if, if you can get to the point where, like, everything that the song needs to be is there, and then maybe you throw one more element in there or something like that, you know, to spice it up. But, I mean, I, I think generally, you know, the ear kind of wants to follow either the vocal melody or then some melodic line, you know, and it doesn't need to be hearing ten different ideas, you know. Like, and yeah. I'm sure every, you know, writer or producer goes through those periods where you think more is more, but, you mm-hmm. know, um, generally I feel like 
as long as, you know, you have something to focus on, you know, and maybe a counterpoint, you know, within there, but not, you know, I mean, there, there, there's old, you know, productions of mine where there's just way too much going on. It's like, oh, really? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, but I think you have to do that, you know, to like, to yeah. talk about stuff. You know? Yeah, there, I mean, room in, in the song is so important, and it's exactly. something that, you know, you don't really learn until you've... So you have too it. much in the room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I always felt like I was good at that, but I, I don't know now if I would say the same if I went back and listened to my music and I'd probably find spots in there that I wasn't providing as much room as maybe it needed. You know, when, one of the hard ones is backing vocals. Mm-hmm. And don't... And, and just... This is kind of a piece of advice to, to young songwriters is leave something there for people to sing along to. Yeah. So group vocals are great and whatever, but you know, it's like, don't do every diplo. <laughs> you know, like don't, don't phrase everything to the extreme to where, you know, somebody else doesn't have the opportunity to do that with you. Because when we're listening to music and, yeah. and enjoying it, singing along to it as we get to know it, that's why we want, you leave some room for somebody to whistle. Mm-hmm. You know, to the, it wants if there's enough room in the song for them to add something, they're going to enjoy it more. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I even think you know I've had this thought too, like with songs that get covered a lot. You know, like, mm. um, like uh, Leonard Cohen Hallelujah or something like that, or or, or the Beatles Yesterday or like, um, or Bob Dylan like any song. You know, but like it, it's almost like. Uh, those weren't like overdone productions, you know, like they were it's true. They, they left room for somebody else to hear something else, like Pink hear it moon. different. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like leaving room for somebody else to be like, oh, I could hear it going here. Like, I want to cover that song, you know, like mm-hmm. stuff like that. Like, I think, I feel like earlier on, I was like just overblown production stuff to the point where like, I can't imagine anybody thinking like, oh, I could hear it like, anywhere <laughs> other than just like way less, you know. Yeah. But yeah. like, uh, <laughs> yeah. I think you might need some more shakers on that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> It was like a triple track shaker or something, you know, but, uh, you know, so I, I, that was a, a small little part of thinking about that process too, of like, you know, the songs that, that make me want to go, oh, I'd love to learn that and like do something with it are usually the songs that are really generally stripped down and, and leave room for you to kind of do your own thing with them, you know? But, yeah. Or Nirvana songs. I mean, you know, or, you know, any, yeah. you know, uh, anything that where you can kind of, they have all the elements you need for a song, but like almost nothing else, you know, nothing beyond what they need, you know. Oh, Nirvana, it's our, it's our generation and in our cities, um, you know, turkey sandwich. It's just, (laughs) (laughs) it's just exactly what you need. It's not fancy, right? but it's perfect. Yeah. You know, when you're hungry. Oh man. Yeah. Um, so this show that you have coming up in Seattle, where, where's that? It's at Connor Byrne, uh, Thursday, September 24th. Okay. Which my birthday is the 25th, so come Happy birthday. I'll be celebrating my birthday, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, and uh, the Demon Ryan is playing, and Billy Joe Heels from Dusty 45s. Oh, really? Is, uh, I don't, I'm not sure if, it's, if he's debuting it, but it's a, it's a new project. Uh, it's like a trio, I guess. Like I think it's upright bass and drums and, and uh, Billy Joe doing his thing, so that should be cool. Cool. Um, and we'll be closing out the night. And I have uh, Eric Hawk playing guitar with me, who... I haven't played with him about seven or eight years. He used to be in Delore with me. Oh, cool. And uh, one of my favorite... I mean, I've played with so many great musicians out in Nashville, but I would still call Eric Hawk probably like the best guitar player I've ever worked with. And, wow. Um, and I have uh, Kelly Van Camp, who's the drummer for Dusty 45s, playing with me. 
um, and Rob Mitchell, who plays in all sorts of bands in town that I can't even think of all the names right now. <laughs> yeah. I know he does a lot of like the Little Red Hen kind of country gigs and stuff like that. But. Well, I'll try to get this out with the group that goes out before that. Okay. Hopefully, there's a, there is a group that goes out before your show, so okay. it promotes it. But, you know, uh, if not... You do have new material. Yeah, out. this year I'm doing a single a month the whole year, so we're cool. we're kind of about to we're getting close to the end here. But uh, are you gonna put that together on an album eventually? That's the idea. Um, that's a good idea. It so it's you know since January every single month there's been a new single and uh, I mean it's not at all like like I'm just pacing a record out over the course of a year. It's like each song is like you know recorded different places, like mm. different genres, different sounds, different collaborations. I noticed that between the two that you showed. Yeah, me. yeah, what I sent you was like the first one and like the most recent one. So cool. what's kind of cool is kind of like without purposely doing it, it's sort of, I feel like there's been an evolution sort of just in this series, you know. Like, mm-hmm. And so it's, it's kind of cool. So it's not going to just feel like, oh, here's the record finally after 12 months of teasing us. You know, it's like, it's a yeah. real... You know, it's like all over the place. Are you making videos for that too? Yeah, every song has has a video. Fuck, um, that's a lot been, of work. It's been a lot of work. Yeah, <laughs> we're a little we're a little behind on the videos, but I think we have um, the sixth video coming out soon, and it's the ninth single coming out next week. So, wow! Um, Congratulations on that. That's a good you. idea. Yeah, you know, I've been I've been kicking around this idea forever because you know this these days with social media, it's like you put all this work into a record. You promote it for a couple of weeks on your page or whatever, and then everyone's like, "Dude, I'm sick of hearing about it," <laughs> you know. Yeah. Whereas, like, you have a, a new single every month. It's new content to talk about, and yeah, and I feel like it gives the listener a chance to sort of like dig into each song more than maybe like, "I got the record and I like three songs. Cool, man. I'll never listen to it again." <laughs> right. Whereas, like, this one it gives everyone like a month, you know, and then maybe a, a second chance with the video to sort of, you know, just have build a connection with the song you know it's like waiting for episodes on a, a you know, TV series that you like right. you know yeah. and then you plow through them so quick you know when you're like binge watching you like forget you know like I mean I'd like to say I would do the same thing it just sounds uh, like you had to get your shit together to, to do that a little more so than we do when we're putting a record together well you know it's. I mean literally like I, I started the series with two songs in the can I had, I had January and February worked out but after that I've been just you know finding a weekend to go in the studio, cut a, cut a track, and I'll I'll always I pretty much have always done like just a song in a day, you know, and then get it like mixed and mastered like that next week, and then out like two weeks later, you know. So yeah, that's my, kind of in the process. My process is so much more convoluted than that, so yeah. so it's well, I, I, mean, I, I appreciate your talents the, in that way. I mean, that's fantastic. I mean, I'll pretty much blueprint things out pretty hardcore before I go in, so it's oh. like you know, there's you know. With letting, you know, leaving room for stuff to happen. But, yeah. But the basic, you know, idea is there. And, and sometimes I'll even, like, you know, bring in tracks that already have the, the basic sort of, mm. you know, thing laid out, you know. So um, that's kind of been more of the way I've been doing it, like, on, on these last couple. But um, it's, cool. been a, it's been a cool experience. And, you know, I, I kind of, like, halfway through it, I was like, man, I just want to keep doing this, like, next yeah. year, you know. But, yeah. but we'll see. I mean, you know, it's... Uh, We'll see. We'll see how well it you know does and all that stuff. But, yeah, take a break uh, from it for maybe yeah, a minute and then yeah. do another one. Yeah, it's yeah. Not. not well, it works well for me though because I feel like if I'm not busy all the time, I just get in trouble. You know, so like it it keeps me you know on schedule. You know, I know. But, <laughs> yeah, artists. Uh, yeah. The artist mind that you know, a mind mind responds well to boredom. Um, it's like <laughs> it's like how I get in my creative mode. Like I have to go through a mm-hmm. lull. 
yeah to get sure. creative not all the time but it's pretty common yeah but i know exactly the need for for busyness like even if you seem like a busy artist you have more free time than you oh, want. Oh, yeah. I mean, even doing this song a month thing, like, I, you know, it's not like I'm working on it every single day. Especially you know, once like, you get good at it. And yeah. You get, you, like now you that said, we you know what you did. schedule down. Yeah, right. it's like, I mean, it's, it's literally like, you know, honestly, only about like two days of the month. Well, I mean, you know, of course there's all the prep, but that's just, you know, fun. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'll, I'll, I'll provide links and stuff um, okay. from the um, from this conversation. And uh, thanks for coming in, man. Dude, thanks for having thanks me. Thanks for making the journey. Yeah. I'm glad we much. got you before. I When I when I asked you to do it, I w- um, it was... I don't think you even knew I was coming to town, right? I didn't know when you were coming to town. Yeah. It just happened to be, like, what, two weeks later? Yeah. And you're here. about that huh dude's pretty humble for such a badass musician <laughs> um, glad we got him up here from Nashville and glad we got the timing right so you can check out Shane's music um, by going to the description section of this podcast as well as on our Twitter page which has the handle at right behind us spelled with a W go support and make this music profitable so you can hear more of it For pics of our guests, look up Beatty and the Sheiks on Instagram. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe on the podcast app. We have much more coming soon. That's it. I know it's a terrible outro, but ciao for now.